Meet Shonda Mamakwa. She is 15 years old and trying to attend high school, but in her Aboriginal hometown, there are only primary schools. This leaves Shonda with a decision, stay home and be safe, or leave to pursue knowledge and advance her education. Shonda chose to go to high school. In her case, this involved taking a plane 519 kilometers away from her home to do so. On top of this, she has to live in a stranger's house in a brand new city. It was scary because I was not ready to leave my family, Shonda said, but she did it anyway to learn and have a chance at a successful future. Now she is attending high school in Thunder Bay by herself with no family or friends to assist her. I think this is something no one should have to go through just to be able to have a basic education, and I think more has to be done on this matter to help kids go to school without so much sacrifice and hardship. Now you listening to this podcast may wonder what you can do to help. Use the story I just told you as fuel to better the world, but how? There are many needs on this planet, and some can be fixed with small gestures, such as you could do something nice for someone, donate money to an important cause, buy a homeless person something to eat rather than just walking by, or even as simple as giving someone a smile. It may change their day and even save their life. But what about the problem that Shonda has and many other Aboriginal kids in the Northern communities? Well, that's going to take more than a small act of kindness, but if you really want to, there's something you can do about that too. Hello, I'm your host Noah Jaquetta, and you're listening to The Teller. On today's episode, we will be talking about First Nations, immigration and cultural diversity, as well as demographic patterns and trends. These topics may sound boring and complicated, but they're actually very interesting and really important. What these topics have in common is that they all are happening in Canada and they all need to be discussed and resolved. Today we will address these important topics and talk about many things relating to them. Without further introduction, let's get started. Alright, let's talk about First Nations the largest group of Canadian Indigenous people who live south of the Arctic Circle. They are a distinct group from the Inuit and Métis people. Today, there are 634 First Nations governments, or bands, spread across Canada, and around half of them are located in Ontario and British Columbia. In our First Nations communities, there are historic issues that need to be addressed. These issues began when settlers arrived in Canada in the 17th century. The settlers were met by the Aboriginals that were living in Canada and were welcomed into their communities. The Aboriginals thought that they were partners and friends with the settlers and tried to demonstrate that they wanted unity and friendship with their new neighbors. Some early Aboriginal art even included the use of wampum belts that depicted two canoes traveling down a river in parallel paths, neither one interfering with the other, as a way to express how they thought they would live symbiotically with the new settlers. The Aboriginals were given many promises Promises of compromise, respect, protection, and even a promise from the Queen to the Cree people of sharing in any bounty and a promise of friendship, but it was so far from the truth. Aboriginals thought they would be getting a seat in the decision-making table with the non-Aboriginal settlers, but the reality was that non-Aboriginals got Canada and all of Canada's bounty, while Aboriginals lost almost everything. Aboriginals got the plague, and their children and grandchildren were soon ushered away to residential schools which were designed to rip the Aboriginals of their heritage. 
language, and traditions, and teach them about non-Aboriginal white culture. Residential schools destroyed families, the children faced abuse of all kinds, and some were even killed and never to be seen again. A shameful part of Canada's history. Today, that legacy of betrayal and abuse lives on in our First Nations communities in the form of lack of access to education, lack of access to affordable housing, lack of access to clean water and food, and lack of access to many other resources and employment. Our shameful history is our present day shame too. In many Aboriginal communities, the levels of education and access to education do not compare to other parts of the country. This is partly because secondary schools are almost non-existent, especially in many re remote communities, and the lack of access to education contributes to many other serious issues such as housing, mental health, employment, and income. In 2015, the total income from the average Aboriginal household was 25% less than those who were non-Aboriginal. Lower education levels contribute to lack of employment opportunities, which further contributes to lower levels of nutrition, but there is also a fundamental lack of access to nutritious food, especially for some more remote Aboriginal communities. Finally, the issue of adequate housing and healthy housing conditions. Housing in many Aboriginal communities, but especially Northern Aboriginal communities, is inadequate, unsafe, and unhygienic. In these communities, 44.2% of First Nations people live in housing that is in need of major repairs when compared to non-Indigenous population living in housing where only 6% of homes need repairs. The issues surrounding our First Nations people are many and cannot be resolved or dealt with in one podcast. Housing, education, healthcare, mental wellness, food, and inclusion in the bigger political conversation in Canada is still an ongoing issue for our First Nations people and contributes to the instability of Aboriginal communities, families, and individuals. Our First Nations communities matter. We need to do better as a country. We need to do better as individuals. Canada would not be Canada without our First Nations. Canada cannot be what it can be until it fixes the historic wrongs that are committed to our First Nations that continue to be modern-day plague that was inflicted upon them so long ago. Welcome back to The Teller. Next, we're going to talk about immigration and cultural diversity in Canada. In Canada, immigration is very important. Immigrants account for 21.9% of our total population and are increasing. Immigration is important to Canada and Canadians because we believe that immigration will diversify our culture, which is important because it builds on the idea that we can create and live in a country that celebrates differences, benefits from diverse cultures, experiences, and skill sets, and helps us grow as human beings about teaching us about cultures and traditions from many other countries all around the world. Immigration also has positive effects on our economy because immigrants that come here don't just bring their culture and traditions with them. They also come with a goal to work hard and get a job or start a business, which contributes to our society and to the economy. Finally, immigration helps to keep Canada connected to the world and strengthen our unique Canadian culture by giving us new traditions, languages, and knowledge, and this allows Canada to be a leader in inclusivity and in having an international perspective. In Canada, there is an immigration system that immigrants have to go through before becoming a Canadian citizen. 
The first part is where a person wanting to immigrate to Canada is classified depending on the reason they're coming to Canada. The different categories someone might fall into include economic, family, humanitarian slash compassionate, and refugee. The economic classification allows for immigrants that are able to become economically established. For example, trades, business, investors, small business, caregivers, etc. The family classification is an immigration category that includes any family member sponsored to come to Canada by a Canadian citizen or permanent resident. For example, spouse, partner, or children. The humanitarian and compassionate grounds classification applies to people with exceptional cases. Immigration Canada assesses these applications on a case-by-case basis. Factors the government look at include how settled the person is in Canada, general family ties to Canada, the best interests of any children involved, and what would happen to you if your request is not granted. Finally, the refugee classification is for people who have fled their countries because of a well-founded fear of persecution. They are not able to return home and they have seen or experienced many horrors. A refugee is different from an immigrant. An immigrant is a person who chooses to settle permanently in another country while a refugee is forced to flee. The other part of the immigration system is called the Comprehensive Ranking System, CRS for short. How it works is that it uses a points-based system to assess and score potential immigrants. The CRS gives applicants a score from their profile answers including skills, education, language ability, work experience, valid job offers, and Canadian degrees. Only after this can a person be granted the right to live permanently in Canada by immigration authorities. Immigration is part of Canadian culture identity and something we are very proud of. This doesn't mean that there isn't opposition to immigration and it doesn't mean that Canada, in all of its diversity, doesn't deal with a significant amount of racism and intolerance. As much as we like to think that hate crimes are rare in Canada, the fact is they happen here too. Hate crimes are defined as any criminal act against any identifiable group, and they aren't just race or color specific criminal acts. They can include crimes against people because of their race, color, religion, national or ethnic origin, age, sex, sexual orientation, or mental or physical disability. There are also different forms of hate crime. They can be expressed by promoting genocide, public statements and gestures initiating hate, deliberately promoting hatred of a group, or vandalizing religious property with hateful mischief. In Canada, last year there were a total of 1,798 crimes, with the most occurring in Hamilton and Quebec, and the least occurring in Belleville and Trois-Rivières. The effects of hate crimes on victims can include having negative and mental and physical health, anxiety, depression, and symptoms of PTSD. It's shocking to think that even in Canada in 2021, people are having to deal with hate because of the color of their skin or the religion they follow. This has never been and will never be okay. We all have a right to expect that we can live our lives safely, knowing and receiving respect from our neighbors and colleagues and live our lives being able to celebrate our culture or origin while living here in Canada, our culture of choice. Hate crimes, racism, and intolerance can be prevented. 
A really important way to prevent hate crimes is to report anything you have witnessed. If you see something, say something. This will give authorities and people awareness that there are criminal acts happening inside of their communities. Another is by educating people on what causes hate crimes and how people should respond to them. Teaching about cultural difference, encouraging people to learn about other cultures through food, music, language studies, teaching, respect, and acceptance of differences, and finding the intersections where we can celebrate together. If you do witness a hate crime, step in, if it's safe to do so. And one strategy that can be used is to start a conversation with the victim. What this does is it redirects the victim's attention, at the same time removes the audience from the aggressor. This also allows the victim to know that there are people on their side, and it allows the aggressor to know that they are alone in their deviant behavior. If it doesn't seem safe to step in, you must immediately call authorities to ensure no harm comes to the victim, yourself or any other bystander. If you see something, say something. Canada is built on immigrants, people from every corner of the planet. There is no one culture in Canada. We are a tapestry of cultures, and that's incredibly special. So we need to protect it by refusing to accept racism and have zero tolerance for hate of any kind. Our final topic for this episode is demographic patterns and trends. When talking about population, there are factors that affect population size. Population distribution is one factor. There are three types of population distribution. There is scattered population, clustered population, and linear population. Scattered populations happen where resources are limited and can only support a small number of people. Regions with widely scattered populations usually have fragile environments that can easily be affected by human activities, which is why the, the populations are scattered in these places. Clustered populations form when many people settle together in a relatively small area. This may happen where there is a more preferred climate, rich natural resources, and major transportation routes. Finally, linear populations occur where natural and humid main linear population routes cause settlement to be in a line. These types of settlements were created when rivers were the main transportation routes, so housing was established around them. There are five other main factors that affect population, right? They are environment, history, migration, technology, and policy. The environment influences population because there are certain locations that have better features like mild climate, fertile soil, fresh water, and natural transportation routes. Since these are features that stand out from the other places, this is where higher populations are found. History influences population because we know, even today, that our ancestors built early civilization because it is where we have the highest populations in the present day, and typically they will have first started civilizations on rich and fertile soil. Migration has an effect on population because if more people are immigrating to a country, then that country's population will increase. But if there are more people emigrating from a country, then that country's population will decrease. Also, migration from specific areas where people of a similar cultural background migrate almost at the same time. 
tends to indicate that when they arrive in a new country, they tend to settle within the same areas. This is how big North American cities evolved to include Little China, Little Italy, Greek Town, Middle Eastern Village, and many other cultural centers. So migration has an effect on population, but also on cultural enrichment of a particular area and of the whole country. Technology has an effect on the population because it can make certain environments a better place to live in than before. For example, irrigation systems or air conditioning units, or in some cases, people may want to migrate to a particular area where there are jobs available in a field of technology, such as Silicon Valley in California and Waterloo, Ontario, which have attracted many people over the years. Policy can have an influence on the population. In China, policies like the one-child policy only allowed people to have one kid per family in order to decrease the population. Whereas in Canada, in order to encourage an increase in population after World War II, the government offered an incentive which became known as the baby bonus system. Today, that same system is called the Canadian Child Benefit System. There are many great cities and towns in Canada that have any number of great reasons to live there. So what makes a great city in Canada? When looking at a good place to live in, you're looking for a place that has low crime rates, low prices for houses, and a few more personal preferences like average temperature or population density if you don't like being too crowded, access to healthcare and education, and of course a rich and diverse cultural center, restaurants, sports, and activities are all very good. So with all this criteria in consideration, one of the best cities to live in is St. John's, New Brunswick. Not to be confused with St. John's, Newfoundland. With a population of 74,285 people and a population density of 235 people per square kilometer, there's a lot of legroom here. First of all, it's by the ocean. Being a seaside city means that the weather's a little bit cooler year-round, which makes it nice for summers, but there's heavier winters. There's also lots of fog in St. John. Right now at the start of April, it averages a high temperature of 9 degrees Celsius with a low uh, temperature of 0 degrees Celsius. It's super affordable with the average house price at $202,000. Now what can you buy in Ontario for that kind of price? Not much. Also, the crime rate is 5.28 crimes per 1,000 people, so there's a very low crime rate. A downside of St. John is that the low population levels can also mean low employment opportunities. But since the beginning of COVID-19, many people from around Canada have been migrating to St. John, so the increase in population is going to make an impact on many things, including jobs, infrastructure, schools, etc. So looking at all these points, St. John is clearly an amazing city to live for all of its amazing opportunities. So if you thought our talk about First Nations, immigration and cultural diversity, and demographic patterns and trends was going to be boring, I hope I proved you wrong. Not only is it super important to know the facts and the figures around all these issues, but it's super important that we share that knowledge with others so that we can help educate people and strengthen our communities and country. I hope you all enjoyed it, and thank you for listening. Make sure to tune in for when our next episode drops. I'm Noah Jaquetta, and now is today's episode of The Teller. See you next time.